the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Love can either bring out the best in us or the worst. On August 22nd, 1992, a man who had no idea his wife was carrying out an affair was shot by her unknown lover in a crime that would send the media into an absolute tailspin. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Walburga Dolly Korschel, born sometime in 1880, was a woman who felt her best when she was on the arms of a handsome man. Known always to have a gentleman caller or two, Dolly seemed to finally settle down when she married a hardworking, wealthy women's clothing manufacturer named Fred Osterreich in the early 1900s. But by 1913, the once talk of the town found herself a 33-year-old housewife with a husband who worked too much and drank even more. One day, Dolly went on to work on a sewing project and found that her machine had stopped working on her. Angry, she called her husband to vent and Fred quickly sent over one of his repairmen to help out his wife. Well, Dolly either planned the whole charade or just figured Fred would respond as such. Because when 17-year-old repairman Otto Sanhuber arrived at the Osterreich home, he was greeted by Dolly wearing nothing but stockings and a silk robe. 
At first, they began their affair like most do, meeting off at hotels for quickies and hoping no one in the town saw them. But eventually, this became too cumbersome, and Dolly moved their clandestine meetings to her own marital bed. This, however, sparked the interest of her nosy neighbors, who were confused as to why this young man kept coming over to the Osterreich home when Fred seemed to be at work. Dolly explained away their confusion by saying Otto was her, quote, vagabond half-brother. Otto was obsessed with Dolly, later calling himself her sex slave, which is why he never questioned her judgment or sanity when she suggested that he quit his job and move into the attic of her home full-time so he could be readily available and avoid the prying eyes of their neighbors. For her, it was the perfect situation. She lived off the comfort that her husband's career allowed and got everything she wasn't getting from Fred from her teenage lover. And at the time, Otto too believed he was in the perfect situation. Not only did he get to be in close proximity to his lover, spending his days tending to the household chores and then her sexual needs, but unimpeded by a job, he was free to pursue his dream of writing pulp fiction stories whenever Fred returned home from work and he crawled back up into the attic. For five years, this arrangement went off completely without a hitch. But in 1918, when Fred informed Dolly that they were selling their house and moving from Milwaukee to Los Angeles, Dolly had to come up with a plan and come up with it fast. Fred had no idea that there was a third person living in their home. No idea that a person was living in their attic and that a move to a state where addicts are few and far between might cause some issues for their border. So Dolly did her due diligence and found a rare home looking over Sunset Boulevard that actually had an attic. She sent Otto ahead of time so he could be securely hidden away when she and Fred arrived on moving day. Back to their normal life, Fred, none the wiser, everyone settled into the new home and the new state. Then, August 22nd, 1992, brought with it an event that would blow this whole bizarre story out of the water. That's the night that Otto, overhearing a particularly loud argument between Dolly and Fred, crept down from his attic hideaway to make sure that his lover was okay. Worried for her life, he made sure to have his 25 caliber pistols at his side. Upon seeing and recognizing Otto, Fred's tempers flared and the struggle between Dolly's men ensued. Three gunshots later, Fred Osterreich was dead and the couple was scrambling to make the scene look like a robbery gone wrong. Otto pocketed Fred's diamond watch and Dolly placed herself in the closet and made Otto lock the door from the outside before returning to his attic hideaway. Once everything was ready, Dolly let out a blood-curdling scream and yelled for her husband to help her full well knowing, just feed away in a pool of his own blood. Neighbors soon called the police who arrived to find Fred already deceased and Dolly slumped on the floor of a closet she had to be freed from. Now, if police had any doubts about the scene upon first glance, the fact that she was locked in the closet from the outside seemed to squash any concern. With no idea a third person was inside of the home, they figured there was no way Dolly could have locked herself inside and must be a victim like she was claiming, though they couldn't quite explain why the armed robber would use such a petite weapon. Free and clear to do as she pleased, the new widow quickly moved into a new house in the neighborhood. Now, you would think that, now that Fred was dead, the couple would go out to live a normal relationship. 
But Dolly, once she moved into her new place, made sure once again that there was an attic space for Otto, who, once again without question, sequestered himself into the small living space. He would do anything for Dolly, who, by this point, had started a new relationship with the attorney who settled her husband's estate, Herman S. Shapiro, a man who she gifted with a familiar diamond watch that she claimed she found under the seat cushion after the police left the scene. Unsatisfied, Dolly added a third man to her heart and began an affair with a man named Roy H. Klum. And early on in the relationship, she asked Roy for a strange favor. She asked if he would mind disposing of an old gun that was a little too similar to the one that killed Fred Osterreich to avoid her embarrassment if police accidentally found it. He agreed and threw the gun into a shallow part of the La Brea tar pits. The second was buried under a rose bush by a neighbor to whom she asked a similar favor. Dolly, who had no problem getting men to do exactly what she wanted, had no idea that her actions were about to change the course of her husband's investigation. Almost a year after Fred's murder, a detective somehow found out that Herman Shapiro had the watch that was taken from the Osterreich home. And around that same time, Roy Klum, with who Dolly had broken up with, went to police and told them about the gun that he threw into the pits. Police were able to retrieve the gun, and with the case back in the front pages of every news outlet, Dolly was arrested and charged with murder, which meant that Otto, who had no idea what was happening outside his attic hideaway, was now alone in the house. So Dolly, from her jail cell, asked Herman for one last favor, to take food to her home and, quote, tap on the ceiling of the bedroom closet to let him know that he should come out, convincing Herman that the man was just her vagabond brother who needed some care. Herman did as he was told, but Otto, starved for conversation, told the stranger that he was not Dolly's brother, but her lover of about 10 years. Herman kicked him out of the house, posted Dolly's bail, moved in with her, and after attorneys failed to explain how she locked herself in the closet, and after attorneys failed to explain how she was locked inside of the closet and come up with a decent motive, all of her charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. The pair lived together for about seven years, but when their already tumultuous relationship started to sour and Herman moved out, he went straight to police and told them what he knew about the death of Fred Osterreich. Warrants were again issued for both Dolly's arrest as well as Otto's. Charged with conspiracy to commit murder, Dolly, and murder, Otto, the pair were placed in jail awaiting their trial. Eventually, Otto Sanhuber, who the papers called the Ghost in the Garret and Batman, was found guilty of manslaughter and, because the statute of limitations had passed, was free to go and live his life. The 43-year-old was never really seen or heard from again. Dolly, always the lucky one, was saved by a hung jury and, unwilling to try her again, was able to spend the last three decades of her life quietly living with her second husband, Ray Bird Hedrick. She died on April 8th, 1961, when she was 75 years old. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on August 23rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. 
And remember, stay safe. Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolved Mysteries podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, this is your podcast. We do in-depth research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired and give you the latest updates on every case. Resolved Mysteries podcast is available wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. mystery.